that in, in, um, in probably next week. But um, Psalm 139 is, is one of the most beautiful psalms. It's just about how the writer just saw God and just how present and how powerful and how wonderful God is. And, and folks, we need to stop and just meditate at times on just, just stop the busyness of this world and stop and think about who this God is and, and, and who we are in his sight. We're going to be focused on verse 14, but I, I think we need to go ahead and start back at the verse 1, and we'll work ourselves to that. And so let's all stand together as we read together from the great psalm, psalmist David, King David. Just a beautiful, beautiful psalm. And, and um, we'll, we'll read down to verse 14. And David writes these words. He says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. Isn't that an amazing thought? That God, that you know my thoughts even before I think about them. That you know everything. Isn't it amazing to think that we can do something without someone knowing about it? Folks, God knows everything. And, and, and so there's just a wonder as, as David is writing these words. He says, you have hedged me behind and before it, and you laid your hand upon me. And then he says, such knowledge is too wonderful to me. It is high, and I cannot attain it. That God, that, I'm just amazed. He says, where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take my wings of the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me. We just sung that song of, of, of you know, the, the, when, the, when the seas rise, folks, we can recognize God's there. God's there. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall hide from you, but the light and the night shines as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike you, for you have formed my inward parts. You have covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, um, that our eyes might be set upon you today. The God that whatever may be trying to compete, Lord, today with our thoughts, I pray that, that Lord, that we can be single in mind and, and focus on the greatness of the God whom we serve. And I just pray that, Lord, that... Um, our hearts, dear Father, will be touched. And God, that we'd be overwhelmed by your presence and, and by your glory. And, and God, that we can today taste you in a way that we've never tasted you. The God, that we can experience you in a way that, that God, that would just bubble over. And so, Father, I just come right now and, and say we need you. We need your presence in this place. And I want to thank you for the great God whom you are. In Christ's name, amen and amen. 
I want to thank you for praying for Wanda and me as we, we took a few days off and thank the Lord. I think Eddie, I kind of you know, left things in Nathaniel's hands and his whole family got sick on him. And so Eddie stepped up and wow, I tell you what, what a blessing. What a blessing it is. It's tough to go on vacation with your wife when she's wanting to call home every five minutes to check on her sick babies, you know. And um, but, but God bless us. He put us in a, in a place we couldn't get phone service anymore. And so, um, or I had to stand there in Canada and say, baby, that's $5 a minute. You know, guys and, and gals think different. You know, think different. She don't, I don't care about the $5. Well, I do. And, um, and uh, but we had a great, great time. And, and boy, we saw some amazing things in Maine and, and Canada. And as I reflect back on those, some of the sites that we saw, Acadia National Park, those, those coastal rocky sea lines or, 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 or coastlines that we walked about three miles just right along the coast and the rocky, it's just everywhere you looked was beautiful and you just were amazed at the beauty. And then we, we, we traveled up into, in, into Canada and, and went on up to Prince Edward Island and, and were amazed at the rolling farmland of Prince Edward Island. And um, I even, you know, Anna Green Gables, I just kind of, I felt good being there because my daughters and, um, knew that, that how beautiful. But also that the, the red sand beaches there were just amazing. And then coming back through Maine, and the leaves beginning to change, especially there in northern Maine. But, but you know the, the site that intrigued me the most? Wanasu and I was, was, was walking a, a little path in, in, in Bar Harbor where you could walk right alongside the, the seashore, and it was all rocky seashore. And, and we came kind of to the end of the path, or it could have been the beginning, it's which way you came, but there on the, the rocky seashore there was something that just caught my eye. Because there on that seashore, there was just a whole series of rocks that were stacked, just small shell type of rocks that were flat rocks just stacked on, on top of each other with kind of a round rock on top. And there was just, there was probably six or seven of those. And I just, I just sat engaged. It just looked like little rock towers that were, were all just set in their place. And and I kind of looked at Wanda Sue in, in kind of a rhetorical question, and I asked her, well, how do you think they got there? And because I pretty well already knew the answer. Because I just, you know, I kind of smiled at her. I said, you know, the, the evolutionists would say, well, that just, by accident, they got there. But I knew that wasn't true. That also reminded me about two years ago that some guys and me at the, the church were, were playing golf, and I don't play golf, I play at golf, and we were over in Brent, um, Bent Creek, and I was where I normally am on the side of the fairway in the trees, and, um, and so there was at the side of the fairway, there were some pine trees there, it was backed up to some homes, and, and um, clean-cut grass, and when I came to those pine trees, I noticed something that you know, apparently it was, it was maybe in the winter of the year, and there was, you know, where, where pine trees have pine cones, but around this particular tree or beside this particular set of trees, there was a complete circle of pine cones, probably 10 feet in diameter. And again, I wondered the same question, the, the, the same thing that I did when I saw those rocks stacked up. How did it get like that? 
Do I, do I think for a moment that just randomly, that when the, those pine cones fell off that tree, they just made a perfect circle? Or did somebody put them there? And so with those types of things in mind, and I, I wish I'd have taken a picture of both, but I didn't, so I pray that you can draw these pictures within your mind. Just a group of rocks, and I found out, I, I did a little research that was pretty common in, in Maine and the area, and they got a name to them. I, I might misspell it, called Cain or Carnes, that, that, um, that where, where people stank these rocks. And this circle of pine cones... And as I begin to think about those sites, I begin to think about me. What does that mean to me? Because, folks, we can learn lessons, and, 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 and parents, that's why it's so important that you can, you can take almost anything and teach your child important lessons. And that just, began, just burned in my mind. As, how does that apply to me? And I think it applies so much to me as, as well as to you. And I want us to stop, and I want to think about that today, that, that dear friends, that that we were all designed for a purpose. There's no accident. And so as I move into this, this, this section, as we begin to look into this verse where, where the psalmist says, I praise you, O Lord, for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm just going to ask for, for a moment. If, and, and children, if you're up here, I want you to come and help sit on the front row with me. I want to talk to you about something. Come on, children. And if you don't want to be a big child, you can come too if you can find a place. Come on, children. I know normally a lot of times many of you are in children's church, but let's come sit on the front row right there. I want to talk to you face to face, man to man. How about that? Don't you like this guy in a tie right here? This is a cool dude. Well, you can come on up here. If you want to come sit right here, you can come right here. It's kind of like herding cats, isn't it? Let me talk to you about just a moment, and, um, and this is going to be the first point of my sermon, okay? And let me just tell you what the psalmist says when he was thinking about this. He says, he says God, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And you know what, first of all, the, 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 the psalmist is saying? He says, I'm not an accident. And I want you all to say, I'm not an accident. And, and I want you to say, I'm not a mistake. No, you're not an accident or a, or a mistake because the Bible teaches us that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. As a matter of fact, I was just sharing that when I was on the beach, I saw a bunch of rocks that were just stacked on top of one another. Do you think they just accidentally got stacked that way? Who do you think stacked those rocks up? God. Well, God or maybe somebody. It might have been Clyde. You think Clyde would have done something like that? <laughs> or or taken pine cones. But what's important for you to know, and this is one way that we can know that there's really a God, is when we begin to look at his creation. And just when I saw that stack of rocks that were stacked up, I realized they they, that was not a mistake. I realize that was not an accident that those, stock, those rocks would be stacked up because somebody put them there. Somebody had to think through their mind and pick up those rocks and put them on top of each other. Just like when I saw a, a whole circle of pine combs, that somebody had to think through and pick up all those pine combs and put them in a circle. But when we begin to apply that into our lives, that we have to realize 
that I was created by God. I'm not an accident. I am, I'm not a mistake. And don't ever, want, don't ever let anybody tell you that. You are special. As a matter of fact, what he says, he says, I'm fearfully and I'm wonderfully made. And that word fearfully, in the Bible, it talks about that we need to fear God. We, we, when we see God, we are to say, wow, God, you are such an awesome God. That there's no other God like you. And, and we should just almost hold our, when we begin to think about God, just hold our mouth open and say, wow, what a great God we are. But what, what the writer of the psalm says, I am also fearfully made. And so that when we look at one another, what we need to do is when, when I look at each of you, I always say, wow, what an awesome person you are. Ryan, you're an awesome person because God created you. And when we begin to think about the human body and our eyes, and our, our feelings, and our nerves, and, and, and how we can eat and get strong. It's pretty amazing. And I think sometimes, because there's so many of us, we lose the wonder of who we are. But folks, just like, just like when the psalmist thinks about God, we're to fear God, that we need to be so amazed of how great each of us are, because we, we are a, a wonderful creation of God. And that's every one of us. And don't ever let anyone tell you any differently. But you know what always says when he says well, that you're wonderfully made? That you're distinct. There's, another, there's not another one like you. And Starla, there's, none, there's not two of you, I can tell you. <laughs> but any of us, even, even these twins sitting here, even though they, I, couldn't, I can't tell them apart. But you are totally different and distinct. That when God created you, he distinguished you from all the other. Just like God, there's no other God. There's no other you either. And so when he says that you're fearfully, that it's amazing, that you're a great creation, that, that we just should be amazed because of who you are, but also realize there's not another in the whole world just like you. You're distinguished from all creation. Isn't that exciting? And see, and that's what the psalmist is saying, that every one of you were created by a great designer whose name is God. And don't you ever, ever forget that. Because the Bible says you're fearfully and wonderfully made. So when you look in the mirror, when you get home, you just sort of say, wow, wow, what a great creation I am. And wow, there's not another like me in the whole world. Will you do that for me? So can you say this, this again, that um, I am not an accident. I am not a mistake. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Okay, you head back to your mom and daddy's then, okay. But folks, we need to understand that. I think because it is so commonplace that we see one another, we forget the magnitude of just how, how amazing that we are as individuals. And, and when you begin to examine the human body, you should just be in awe. 
Even our eyesight, uh, you know, I've, I've had trouble with my eye, and I thank so God so much for you, you praying for me. And it was, it was the last Sunday I was here, I was, I was going home, and, and I don't know, it, just, it was just that moment, I was on Louder Street, it was just that moment that, that, that in time that it caught me of how blessed I am to have eyesight. Because I could see the, my eyes were clear and I could see the, the you know, a clear line in the green grass. And, and um, I was just amazed how wonderful it is just to have eyesight. But scientists will tell you how amazing it is for us to even be able to distinguish images through our eyes. And, and how so many components have to get together. Folks, that is the argument of grand design. That when we walk around and see one another, and, 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 and again, like I said, when I saw a stack of rocks or I saw a, a circle of cones, I knew immediately that didn't just happen. And in, in all reality, it would have took more faith for me to believe that I, that all happened randomly than for me to believe that there was a grand design planned for it all. And folks, don't ever let someone tell you that you were an accident, that you were a mistake, or you were just random. No, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And you need to remind yourself of that all the time because the world can beat you down, the world can lie to you, and I want you to know that you can say, and I want you to say that with me, I'm perfectly, desi I'm perfectly designed by a creator. Um, let's say that together. I'm perfectly designed by a creator. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. It doesn't matter who, who you are. You are a wonder. And there's not another just like you. But we have to take that stop farther. Because we have to ask ourselves that, how did that come about? I mean, even though I, I believe that there was, there was someone that had put that stack of rocks there, those circle of cones, why did they do it? There had to be purpose. For, for, for the very fact that it was there, there had to be a reason that, that those rocks were stacked. And, and I've read that they could have been stacked for many reasons. Some say that that's a marking of a trail, and, and um, it might have been just the fun of doing that, or, or maybe there's some type of spiritual tone. But there, there's a purpose for why would a person just take a, uh, and gather a, a group of rocks and stack them on top of each other? Why would someone just take a time? That was, that was probably a child with the cones that just took those cones and put them in a circle. So that leads us to our just very second, I think, perfect line of logic is that when I'm speaking about myself, that if I've been, if I've been designed by a creator, then I've been designed for a purpose. I've been created for a purpose. And I think that's the great philosophical question of all time. What am I here for? Why am I here? I think everyone at some point in their life asks themselves that question. Why am I here? Folks, we're here for purpose. First of all, we were not a random accident or a mistake that we were created, and we were created for a purpose. I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about it a few weeks ago when our 
our senior adults went out to, to Brother David and Sister Debbie's place, and man, they got a nice place out there, and, and, and they've created kind of, a, 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 kind of a, an old-time museum out there. And you, you go up to their place, and there's just old, old tractors that are there and farm implements, and, and um, you're going into where they're... Um, where they serve, and there's there's a, there's an old if, and again, if you didn't know that, there's a big old machine sitting there that has a crank on it, and and um, and I mean, somebody just didn't make that big old machine with a crank. They they had to, they made it for a purpose, and I believe that was a corn sheller. And then I was looking up on the wall, and there was some things there. There was some things that. Had some, you know, they looked almost like a stick and some wire or something. I, I didn't know what that was for. But David, David, what was those things on the wall you were telling me? Well, it's something that, that, that his grandpa, I believe, had, had made for the cows to, to a calf wiener. You just don't take a calf off the bottle. And so what they'd do is they'd put something on the calf, and it would hit the cow, and the cow would kick the fire out of them. You know, it's like kind of poking the cow. But I couldn't figure out what that was. But I know it had to be created for a purpose. And even though I didn't realize it, that I, there had to be just the common thought that somebody just didn't create that with no purpose in mind. That, and it's the same way when you go into a tool store. And I'm not that much of a handyman, but I like to kind of, browse around, you know, that's what guys do. We browse around acting like we're looking for something. We don't even know what anything is in there. But you see all these different types of tools, and you wonder, well, what is that for? And, but, but every one of those tools have been created for a purpose. They just didn't create them to create them. They created them for a purpose. And folks, it's the same way with you and me. If we're not a mistake, if we're not random, then every one of us needs to understand we've been created for purpose. That when, when, when God created us, and we, he created us in a fearful and wonderful way, that we have to know that, that there was purpose within our creation. And as a matter of fact, when that great, great... Well, well, first of all, the psalmist had said these words when he began his psalm. He says, you know, your thoughts toward me are just too wonderful. And that kind of corresponds with what Jeremiah says when Jeremiah, or God spoke through Jeremiah, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, or, or, or some of our translations says, I know the plans that I have for you, but that, that real word means thoughts. Because it lets us know that God is always thinking about us. He was thinking of us before the foundation of the world, that even before he created us in our mother's womb, he was thinking about us. You see, when that person stacked those rocks up, they were making a plan. First of all, they had to gather the rock, and then they kind of had to think about how they wanted to stack those rocks. And well, probably that kid, you know, beside the golf course was, you know, he's just looking out there one day. He began to think, well, how cool it would be for those, you know, that there's going to be some old man come by here, and I'm going to, I'm going to blow his mind, you know. He says, I want to take these cones, I'm going to put them all in the circle. But somebody had to think through that. Folks, God has always had you on his mind. Isn't that an amazing thing? And that when he began to create you and create you like he did, he was creating you for a purpose. He has plans for you. He has purpose for you. 
And sometimes we can get lost in the busyness of the world, and, and, and also we, we, we think that there is no purpose. And, and folks, that's, a, that's, a, that's a, a dry place to be, thinking that I have no purpose in my life, that I have no value within my life. You're extreme value because you have purpose with God. The writer of Ecclesiastes writes these words. He says he's made everything beautiful in its time. And also he's put eternity in their hearts. And when God created you in that fearfully and wonderfully way, the thing that distinguishes you from all other creation is he's placed eternity within your heart. That you might know there's a God and know there's more and know there's purpose for your life. But let me just move on. I'm just trying to, again, walk through who we are in the eyes of God because I think so many times we lose sight of that. That I've been designed, I have been beautifully designed by a creator. And when he designed me, he designed me for a purpose. But then we have to ask ourselves, what is that purpose? Why did God design me? If, if he was thinking of me before the foundation of time, but I, I, I'm going to argue with you that my purpose of creation is to bring my creator pleasure. It's not about me. It's about you. This is where we get so confused in our humanistic th- philosophy. We make everything about you and me. And it should be all about the creator. Because a toolmaker does not die-cast a tool for the sake of the tool. He does it for himself. When David's grandpa, whoever, was trying to figure out a way to help wean calves off of cows, he, he didn't put together a contraption for the sake of itself. For everyone to say, come look at this. It, it, was, it was the idea that he was doing it for himself. This person who, who came along and began to put these stacks of rocks, they did it for themselves. It was bringing them some type of pleasure. It was bringing them some type of joy within their life for putting that circle of cones there. That when God created you and me in a fearful and wonderful way and that we were on his thoughts before the beginning of time, he was doing it for himself. It's not that so you and me can, can stand up and tell the world, look how great I am. Instead, the world should look at me and say, look how great God is. And we get that so confused. And the Bible is extremely clear about that. How are the different ways we can give him glory? Or, or, or that we can, can give him pleasures. First of all, we give him the glory that he's due. Nehemiah wrote these words in Nehemiah 9.6. He says, you alone are the Lord. You, ha- you have made the heaven of heavens with all their host, and the earth and everything that was in it, the seas and all that is in them. He says, you preserve them all. God, you are the creator, not me. And then he says, and you preserve them all, and the host of heaven worships you. When God designed the earth, he designed the earth 
in the heavens of the heavens to worship Him. And I think if if you would stop and you would just lay on that clear night and look at the heavens, how can you not glorify a great God? That everything is in perfect time and all the laws of nature that He's put into place. Or, or you, you stop and you look in the face of a child that's just been born. A, a child that's just been in a mother's womb and just the miracle of conception. And then the miracle of gestation. And then the miracle of when a child can, 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 can be birthed through the birth canal. And see that, that child, instead of now feeding off of his, his mother, now he's feeding off of the world around him or her. How can you not say... What a great God whom we serve. How can you not say how amazing that is? You know, how arrogant it is for, you know, to, guys are like this, you know, that child is more than what, what but, you know, give her, look what I've done. You hadn't done nothing, son. You just... You gave a seed, and that's about it. And, um, you know, and, um, but in all reality, it's what God has done. God is the giver of life. And we need to give him the glory that he's due. Did you know that is the very problem with the condition of man? Is because the very problem with, with man's um, condition is that we give the creature and the created, the, work, the glory, rather than the creator. Matter of fact, we're going to be studying that in, in Romans, but I'm going to read this to you because you, you need to understand this. This is just a very, very basic um, reason for, for the man's need of salvation. In Romans, the first chapter, Paul sums it up like this. If you, if you, if you turn to, to Romans, the, the first chapter, verse 20, and, and, and Paul is speaking about our need of salvation but then he says these, these words in verse 20. He says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen. And that's what I'm saying, that, that how are they clearly seen? And they're understood by the things that are made. We should be able to look at creation itself and see the glorious God. Even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. That no one that has, can open their eyes and experience creation or without excuse of understanding there's a great God. He says, because they, although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, professing to be wise, they became fool, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed beasts, and creeping things. And what he says is the fallen nature of man is, is man wants to worship himself rather than the one whom created him. And that's no more foolish than a tool saying, look who I am, or a, a piece of art saying, look who I am, and worshiping itself other than the artist or the tool maker. And so first of all, that we bring God pleasure is when we worship our creator and give him the glory that he's due. Another way that, that we bring our, our maker pleasure is that we find our complete satisfaction in Him. Wow. 
Most of our life is spent trying to find satisfaction. Trying to find contentment. We think if we can get that job, I'll be satisfied. Or if I can get that new car, I'll be satisfied. Or if I can get that new outfit, I'll be satisfied. That new pair of costumes, I'll be satisfied. Or if I can get that latest computer, I'll be satisfied. If I can get this much money in the bank, I'll be satisfied. And that's the sad thing, is we're trying to find satisfaction in things that will never bring us satisfaction. Because all they'll cry out is more, more, more. You know, if I can, if I can marry this person that's been painted up on, on that it's not even a real person. That you know, guys, we that, that's why pornography is so dangerous. Is because we 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 worship these images, and there's nothing in the world that can give that to you. That can't satisfy you. You know, ladies, that that you know, you get starstruck and you think Prince Charming. Ladies, there's no Prince Charmings out there. And a man can't satisfy you. A woman can't satisfy you. And so all we do is find ourselves in trials and hurt. Our satisfaction needs to be in Christ and Christ alone. In our Creator. That, 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 should, you know, that should be enough. As a matter of fact, the psalmist writes in Psalm 63, 1, he says, and David, that when he was in the wilderness, when he was running, when things were bad for him, he began to realize that, that it's, I can't find satisfaction in my circumstances. I find my satisfaction in God. He says, oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. Folks, God should be the thing that... that that quenches our thirst. He says, my flesh longs for you in a dry and a thirsty land where there is no water. So I've looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. Because your love and kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise you. Thus I will bless you while I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness. That means in the best foods. And my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. You know what David was saying? That God, I find my satisfaction in you and you alone. It's not in this world, but my satisfaction comes from you, and therefore I'm going to praise you, Lord. How much would that simplify and bless our life if we would try to stop, if we would stop seeking satisfaction in the things of the world rather than the God who created us? And, and then also, when that, that's what brings him pleasure because we were created to worship him and, and, and that, that we find our joy and satisfaction in him. That's why, when, when speaking of wisdom, which, uh, which is a persona of God, the, the, this, the writer of Proverbs says, Happy is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding, for proceeds are... are are better than the profits of silver and her grain than five gold, fine gold. She's more precious than rubies and all the things you may desire cannot compare to her. Folks, nothing in this world can compare to what we can find in Christ. And I challenge each of you today to stop and ask you, what am I seeking to bring me satisfaction? And if it's anything other than Christ... I challenge you 
to refocus yourself. John Piper writes these words. He is most glorified. God is most, speaking of God, is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Nothing can bring God greater glory and pleasure when he knows that his creation says, God, you all I need. You all I need. Even in our personal relationships, and I'm just using this as illustration. There's nothing stronger in a personal relationship within a husband and wife. And if you've lived long enough, you've been there where everything else seemed to fall apart. And that husband looking in that wife's eyes, and I think there's been some country songs written about this, you know. When basically, you know what? Everything's falling apart, but I've still got you and you're all I need. I mean, how much peace and satisfaction is that within a relationship? And then when we place that into God, that we look God in the eyes and say, God, my satisfaction is found in you and you alone. That's what brings him pleasure. And so therefore, I'm going to worship you. Again, that brings him pleasure. And then also that when we begin to fulfill his plan for our lives, you remember God created us for a purpose. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and of not of evil to give you a future and hope. When we begin to identify that we are created with a purpose and then therefore we begin that, that we've been saved for a purpose, that we have been gifted with the gifts of the Holy Spirit for a purpose, and then when we, when we are fulfilling the purpose that God has created us. I know it has to be satisfying for a toolmaker that when a toolmaker, you know, is looking that this can make things easier and they create that tool and then it works. And there's that sense of satisfaction, there's a sense of pleasure of knowing I've done something not only to help myself, but I can help others. And I know whoever stacked those rocks there, it, it caught my attention, so there has to be satisfaction, and I've done this, and it's blessed. But folks, there's, 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 there's joy within that. But then finally, I'm just going to close. <laughs> folks, I can't emphasize this enough. My greatest pleasure, my greatest pleasure, We've been talking about God's pleasure, but now my greatest pleasure is experienced when I am fulfilling that for which I am created. You'll never enjoy, you, I've, how many times have I said this, you'll never experience the full joy of your salvation until you find for, for that which God has created you and you're fulfilling that purpose. There's nothing more better, there's no better sweet spot than when I know that I'm, I'm fulfilling that for which I'm created. And I think about so many Christians that, that live their life, and they live their life in drudgery and misery and, and waiting for that great moment. Folks, those great moments are when you're fulfilling the, crea- um, the purpose for which you were created, to bring God glory, to exercising your gifts for his glory. When you bring a smile to God's face, he places a smile in your heart. And there's nothing sweeter than that. The world can't give, it can give you temporary pleasure, but it can't give you lasting pleasure and satisfaction. And so today, as I, as I close out, I just, I, just, I just felt very led today to let's talk about who we are and why we're here. The folks, we've all been beautifully designed by a creator. He created us for a purpose, and that purpose was to bring him pleasure. And then I find my greatest pleasure is when I am fulfilling that 
for which he created me. I ask you to stop and ask yourself or these questions. How do I see myself? We live in such a tough world and, and grew up in, many of us grew up in such t- tough circumstances. Some of us have been told that we're mistakes, that we weren't even wanted. We're accidents. But I want to tell you, friend, every one of you are fearfully and wonderfully made. But I'm going to also ask you this question. Whose purpose am I trying to fulfill? Am I trying to fulfill what I think my purpose is? Or am I trying to fulfill it's all about me? Or am I trying to fulfill a purpose that's all about God? See, that's the question. Am I trying to get the world to worship me, or am I trying to point the world to worship Christ? You'll never find joy. You'll never find joy in the worship of yourself, because it will never be enough. You'll always be striving. Peace can come in Christ and Christ alone. And I challenge you today, I ask you today, to set your eyes upon Jesus. He's your creator. He's your redeemer. He's your judge. And find your pleasure in him. Nothing can satisfy you like Jesus can satisfy you. Joe, is that right? Nothing can satisfy you like Jesus. You know, the world has a lot of counterfeits. But nothing can satisfy you like Jesus. I'm asking you today to come to Jesus. If you've never met Christ as your Lord, I invite you today to meet him in a personal way. I'm going to ask you in just a moment, and we're going to take a time, and and you may want to step out that that aisle and say, Pastor, I want want to meet this God who you're, you're speaking of. And Christian, you may be here today, and you say, you know what, I, I need to get my focus back on him. I'm, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and I need to give him the glory that he's due. Is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? I want to ask our team as you begin to come up now, and as our team comes up, I want to say just a brief prayer, and then we're going to have a time to invite you to however God is speaking to your heart. Don't leave. Without, without being obedient to our Lord. Father, bless this time, Lord. And God, and I pray that even through this time, that you will be glorified. In Christ's name, amen.